0: So we're in week something of this series of James, where we're going verse by verse through this letter written by the younger brother of Jesus. And if you look at the bookshelf up here on the screen, you'll see that uh, we're going to spend most of our time in, in what book, do you think? In James, we're going to spend most of our time in the book of James, and that's, that's right here. It's one of the other letters written to churches that wasn't written by this guy by the name of Paul. Now, we're also going to be in one verse we're going to look at from the book of Ephesians, written by Paul to the church that was in Ephesus. One of the things that you really have to remember as we go through this, this letter together is that the letter of James was written to Christians, The letter of Ephesians, written by Paul, was written to Christians. You have to remember the audience. And so I think that these words are so applicable to us. And as we've gone week by week through this letter of James so far, um, every week James is testing us, us, isn't he? He's giving us a test. He's saying, here is a self-evaluation for you to be able to look into the mirror and see what you can learn about yourself. See what you can learn about your journey with Jesus Christ. Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Are you being transformed closer and closer into his image? And, And, you know, I didn't always test very well in school. And personally, I always believed... That, that I was a lot smarter than my grades. I mean, I don't know if any of you have that perspective on, on school. But, I, you know, I didn't always test very well. I didn't always like tests. But something that I love about these tests is that this is such an important topic, being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And if I'm flunking the test, I want to know. I want to know. I want to be able to see that and I want some something that I can put my hands on and I can say thank you James for exposing this in me so that I know where I can pray and where I can grow and where I can learn. But in all of this there is an applic- in all of this there is an application that we remind ourselves of every single week because you can get bogged down in this letter and you can just feel like a failure. And so there's something that you can write in your notes and and this is something that we're saying every week. God's expectation for me is what? Is progress. It's not perfection. God doesn't expect you to pass 100% with flying colors, but he does expect you to be progressing along the way, okay? So God's expectation for me is progress, not perfection. Now today, we're going to be looking at the second half of chapter 2 from the book of James. And you can go ahead and turn that. Keep your finger there because that's where we're going to spend most of our time. In just a minute, we're going to fly further into the New Testament for this passage from Ephesians. But we're going to spend most of our time in James. And, And today, we're going to be looking at one of the most controversial passages in all of the Bible. One of the most argued about passages in the New Testament is what we're going to be looking at today. It has caused tension in the Christian community throughout church history. See what I mean? Exclamation point. But one of the things that we're going to do today, and I believe that James does in this passage, is that he reminds us that we interpret Scripture with Scripture. So if we have something that, that's kind of rocking us a little bit and something that it's a little hard to, to get to the point, what exactly is he trying to say here? One of the lights that we can shine onto this passage is other Scripture and what we learn from other Scripture. And James does that. Now, this was the first letter written in our, that makes up our New Testament. So he's not sharing other New Testament writings, but he is sharing the teachings of Jesus And he is sharing some examples from the Old Testament. And so we are interpreting Scripture with Scripture. Now, here's an example, okay? Last week at the end of the passage that we looked at, James said, if you don't show mercy, then you will not be shown mercy. Okay, that was at the end of the passage we looked at last week. If you don't show mercy, you will not be shown mercy. Now, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, James said, if you don't show mercy, you will not be shown mercy. Jesus said, if you do show mercy, you will be shown mercy. Do these two contradict each other? Do they they shake the confidence that you have in the consistency of Scripture because they're saying something different? I mean, they don't me. To me, it's two different angles. It's two different perspectives of the exact same point. Two different angles. Now, this week, we're going to be looking at tension that comes between faith and and works, or, or some translations use the word deeds, between faith and what we believe in our heads and in our heart, what with the confidence that we have and, and what we know is true from God's word, and then how that shows up in our lives by the stuff that we do and the way that we live our lives. So in Ephesians 2.8, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says these words, "...for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves." It is a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. He says, listen, it is by grace that you're saved. It is through faith in God's saving grace that you receive salvation. And this isn't something that you can earn. It's not something that you can do by yourself. It's not something that you can accomplish on your own. But it is a gift that comes from where? It's a gift that comes from God. And it's not by works. It's nothing that you can accomplish so that then you can brag about it and say, hey, see what I did? No, it's not by works, so no one can boast. Martin Luther, in the 1500s, he was born at the end of the 1400s, and in the mid-1500s, Martin Luther began a, a revolt. He began what is known as the Reformation Movement. And he had a very, very difficult time with this passage from James. In fact, he didn't know what to do with this passage from James to the point that, that he sort of just sort of discounted the whole letter. You know, He just didn't want to have anything to do with it. So here's the setting that Martin Luther was surrounded by. He was battling the church of his day, and the church was forcing people to do all kinds of things to earn their salvation or to acquire salvation. And, and the biggest thing that Luther, that just disgusted him, was the selling of indulgences, okay? So here's a piece of paper. You buy this piece of paper from me for however much money the church was saying at that time, and, and the church will, will say that your sins are forgiven. Okay, And Luther was just going crazy. And Luther came along and he was screaming, no, salvation isn't from anything that we can do, but rather it is, it is from what God has already done. Jesus accomplished all of the work of salvation when he did the work on the cross, when he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. So Luther came along, And he was embracing this passage from Ephesians. It's by grace that you've been saved. It's through faith that you've been saved. It is nothing that you can do. It's nothing that you can earn. And then James comes along, I believe, not contradicting anything that Luther said at all. But James comes comes along with this complementary perspective that I think, when you put it all together, it completes completes our, our knowledge of God's will on this subject. James comes along and says, listen, doing good things doesn't make you a Christian. Doing good things doesn't earn your salvation. Just like like putting on a jersey doesn't, doesn't make you an athlete. Okay, does anybody have a jersey at home? Favorite team? All right, putting on that jersey does not make you an athlete. But if you are an athlete, at some point you will put on the jersey. If you are a professional football player, at some point you will put on the uniform. You will will put on the jersey. You will put on that which identifies you. And I believe that doing good things doesn't make you a Christian. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're being transformed more and more into His image because of the, the saving grace that you have experienced, this grace through faith, it will begin to produce good works in you. And when we have experienced the saving grace of God and it, and it flows out into our lives because we have faith in Jesus Christ and, and his payment for, for our penalty that we should have taken on the cross, then we will put on the jersey. We will put on the uniform. We will be identified by the way that we live our lives. Now, that's the conclusion of the sermon. So now that I've told you the conclusion of the sermon, let's look at the passage. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 is where we'll be looking today. And James said in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but but they have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, let me pause right here and ask you, this person that James sort of interjects into this story, this person that claims that they have faith, is James saying that that person has faith? James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but they have no deeds? Is James saying that this person has faith? What is he saying? They claim to have faith. He's not saying this person has experienced the saving grace and and has faith in Jesus Christ. He's not saying that at all. Now, maybe they do, but he's not saying that at all. He's saying they claim to have faith. And then he goes on to say, can, can such faith save them? The kind of faith that, that they claim to have, but, but they have no good deeds? And then he continues in verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? This is such a ridiculous example that James gives here. So suppose that that someone in the church here is, is freezing because they are not, they are not dressed for the weather. Okay? Someone's going to walk out here today and they're going to get wet and they're going to freeze tonight and, and they don't have adequate clothing to protect them from the elements, and they're starving. They cannot put food on the table at home and, and they cannot feed their wife and they cannot feed their children. And they're here. And you walk up to them and you say, Oh, God bless you. God bless you. Um be warm and well-fed. See you next Sunday. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? You, you get where James is going with this. That is absolutely ridiculous. It's someone that says, that claims that they have faith, and, and they just say, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you my blessing. I'll be praying for you. And, and they could help, but they actually do nothing to help. Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accomplished by action Is dead. This person claims to have faith, but it's not the kind of faith that that makes a difference in their lives. It's not the kind of faith that, that changes the way that they interact with other people. It's not the kind of faith that changes the way that they love other people. And James is saying, you can call that faith if you want to, but that's not real faith. And then he does something that I think is really interesting. He introduces an antagonist into this story. He's giving equal time for the other, the other view that he's arguing against. In verse 18, he says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have deeds. Now, I, I kind of wonder. You know, James was a preacher in the Jerusalem church, and, and I wonder if, if this person was in his church. And he's writing this letter, and he's saying, Hey, listen, I got this guy in my church. I'll bet you've got him in your church, too. And, and so he's saying, Now, listen, someone's going to come up and they're going to say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, I'll show you my faith with my deeds. This person wants to separate faith and deeds, faith and works, faith and action. They want to separate the two. They basically want to say, it's okay if an individual doesn't, doesn't display both of these, these elements in their lives. It's okay as long as the church as a whole is able to display these things. You know, some people have the gift of of faith, and some people have the gift of works and deeds and doing good things. As long as it's all represented in our church family, that's okay. It doesn't have to be represented within an individual in the church. That's what this person is saying. It's okay to separate the two. But that's not real faith. Verse 19 you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. He's saying, listen, just having an intellectual knowledge about something is not saving faith. It doesn't mean that you've experienced the saving grace of God. Even the demons believe that. Even the demons have faith in God. They have a belief in God. They recognize Jesus Christ. But that is way short of placing your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and being obedient to him. And that is what real faith is. Verse 20, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? So he says, okay, here comes my proof. I'm going to give you a couple of examples from the Old Testament. And, and most of the readers, most of the hearers of this letter would have come from the Jewish background. And so they would have been very, very familiar with the examples that he's about to give. Verse 21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Abraham's faith and his actions worked together. Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did. Verse 24. You see that a person is can you, you see that a you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now he's not saying that you're saved by the stuff that you do. You're saved by grace through faith. But the quality of the experience that you're having with God will be seen in the way that you live your lives. Then he goes on with another example, verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute? I love Rahab the prostitute. I love that she is an example that he gives in this passage. Did her act of helping the spies wipe away her past, of, her past life of prostitution? Absolutely not. But he says, even Rahab the prostitute, considered, she was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and, and then she sent them off in a different direction. This was in the city of Jericho, remember? And God's people were going to, were going to attack that city and destroy everything that lived in that city. They, they floored the city. And they killed everything in there. But Rahab protected the spies that Joshua had sent into the city. She hid them and she protected them. And then when she was asked about it, she sent the she sent the people from Jericho in the opposite direction and she helped the spies. And so, you know, she she becomes this example. And I love it. Because this woman who had been used, this woman who had been abused, this woman who had been traded and, and treated like property treated like an animal. She had heard about the one true God. She had knowledge of him. And then when she was given the opportunity, she placed her trust in him. And she got a new start in life. And she was adopted into God's family. And she ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. When you turn to Matthew chapter 1 and you're reading through the genealogy of Jesus, Rahab is mentioned there. Then he continues in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds, or the other translations like the ESV use the word works, faith without works is dead. It's lifeless. If if your faith with no action behind it is laying there on the ground and you put a mirror up to its nostrils, there's no fog on the mirror, okay? It's dead. It's lifeless. There's nothing there. Now write this in your notes because this is really, really important in case Martin Luther is going to listen to this sermon later online. Uh, It's really important that you write this in here and that you understand this. James is not teaching that works must be added to faith. Paul made it very clear in his inspired letter to the church in Ephesus that we are saved by grace alone through faith. We are not saved by these things that we do. James is not teaching that you've got, okay, you've you've got your faith. Now we've got to add works to it. Okay, so that you can be saved. We've got to add something to the equation. He's not saying that at all. Works become an illustration to the world around us about the saving grace of God that we have experienced, and they fit together in perfect unity. So let's define these two words. This is in your outline. Let's define these words. Faith trusts and obeys God. So there's a couple of different ways that the English word believe or faith shows up in the New Testament scripture. And, and sometimes in the original language, it meant that, that you have a knowledge. Okay, you, just, you have a knowledge of something. Other times it means that you are placing your trust and your obedience in that which you have faith. That's what James is talking about here. Faith trusts and it obeys God. It's more than a belief. It's more than knowledge. Even, the, even who believes? Even the demons believe. Even the demons have knowledge. Okay, let's define the word works. Works is a life of loving God and people. Loving God and loving people. As stated by Jesus Christ in the greatest commandment where he said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's that's the kind of works that we're talking about. It is living a life of loving God and loving people. And then it was repeated by James in last week's passage. Our love for God, it spills over. It spills over into love for other people as we live our lives. And as we mature and as we are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, those works become evident. So number one in your notes. Here's what I believe James is communicating to us through this passage And it does not contradict Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2. Number one in your notes, faith without works is useless. He's saying you can say that you have faith. You You can call it faith if you want. I don't think it's real faith, but you can call it that if you want to. But without it showing up in the way that you live your life, that faith is useless. It's dead. It's like telling a starving person and a freezing person they should go get something. Hey, dude, you should put some drawers on and go get something to eat, right? That's a big help, right? does nothing. It's useless. Absolutely useless. You guys remember this from last week? If you ever open up the mailbox door and you see a frog in a mailbox, you can be pretty sure what? Yeah, he, he, he probably didn't get there on his own. And there's something that you need to know. And, and if you miss the way that God works in your life, and if you miss that God has blessed you with the good things that you experienced, then you're forgetting this. And this is the next phrase in your outline. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. Wherever you are in life, the blessings that you have received and the great experiences that you have had, you didn't get there on your own. And God allows you to experience these blessings so that He, through you, can be a blessing to others. God is happy that you are doing well, but He often wants to use your doing well to help other people. Here's the next phrase in your outline. Faith that is not moving causes spiritual constipation. Yeah, I know, I wrestled with that one. Do I put it in? Do I not put it in? We're going to talk about this over lunch today. I don't know. Am I going to get an email about this? Faith that's not moving causes spiritual constipation. This is the most graphic way and most memorable way I could think of, of making this point and illustrating it. Real faith, saving faith, it causes you to, to continually be moving in your walk with Jesus Christ and God's love and God's mercy flow through you. And if you are not allowing God to work through you to be a blessing to other people, then you're just, you're just all stopped up. You're just all stopped up. And can you continue to receive the blessings of God if if the blessings of God are not flowing out of you? I mean, pretty soon you're going to get full. Pretty soon you're going to explode, right? And it's not going to be pretty. Number two in your notes. Number two in your notes. Faith without works cannot save. Faith without works cannot save. I think that James is, is clearly saying this. Faith alone... Faith with no works, faith with no good deeds in your life, faith that's not being evident and shown by the way that you live your life and you interact with other people. Well, that's the kind of faith that has no effect on you. And that that kind of faith, he said, is dead. Show your faith by taking action. Show your faith by the things that you do. uh, Somebody gave us this chair. They gave my wife this chair. They didn't give it to me. And um, it didn't look like this when they gave it to us, but Janine enjoys repurposing things. And so she kind of, uh, she, she changed this chair a lot. And I'm going to sit it right here because every now and then she comes across something like this and, you know, it's cool and, and, it, and it matches our house really well. And so it, it's got a good spot in the house. But I see an antique chair like that. I see something old like that. And you know what it tells me? Don't sit here. That's what it communicates to me because we've got some chairs in our house that I'm very comfortable to sit in and then we've got stuff like that and I'm thinking, you know what? That, that's, that's a trip to the chiropractor. That's what that is. That's Janine being very disappointed that she put so much work into this thing and I ruined it, okay? So, so here's the deal. These chairs, are made out of, these chairs are made out of steel, right? The chairs that you're sitting on right now and, and I have all the faith in the world that I could sit on that chair and it would hold me. I, I believe that. Okay, I've experienced it. I can look at it. I can feel it. And I'm like, man, I have, I have all of the faith in the world that that chair will hold me. I can sit in that chair. I'll be comfortable, and it's, and it's no problem. That chair will hold me. I don't have faith in this chair. I just don't. It's pretty. It's decor. I don't have faith that I can sit in that chair. I just don't. But if I'm having a conversation with you, and you're saying, well, I have faith in that chair. I have faith that that chair would hold me. And I say, well, then have a seat. And you say, no, thanks. And I say, come on, do you, do you really believe that this chair will hold you? And you say, yes, absolutely. I, I firmly believe with all of my heart that that chair will hold me. And I say, well, then have a seat, brother. And you say, no, I think I'll just stand no, come on, sit down, show your faith, put a little action into your faith. No, I just think I'll stand. You know, i got some stuff in my past. I had a bad experience with a chair one time, and I have, full, I have full trust in this chair. I have full faith in this chair, but, you know, I just, you know, I just think I'll stand. Is that faith? James is saying that's useless. That's not faith. It's not faith at all. Absolutely not. You can't claim to have real faith and never display that faith by taking action in the way that you live. And you know, somebody clever can come along and they can say, well, I intellectually believe that as I look at this chair that it would hold me because I'm looking at the construction of it and the glue looks good. And by the way, I remember that uh, you know, I studied that, that when chairs were put together in this time period that they did this method on it and the curves and everything, that it distributes the weight really well. And I intellectually, I totally believe that. But then you don't do anything about it. That intellectual belief, that intellectual knowledge, if it's not translated into action, James is saying that is not faith. So write this in your notes. Intellectual assent, even to correct doctrine, is not salvation. Intellectual assent to correct doctrine is not salvation. Let me tell you something. I believe that the demons have correct doctrine about God and about Jesus Christ. I believe that demons know more about Jesus and about God than I do. They screamed out, Son of God, what are you doing here? Son of God, what are you... You know, they interrupted Jesus from time to time while he was preaching and teaching. Son of God, what are you going to do with us? I mean, they knew who he was. They absolutely knew who he was. They had that kind of knowledge in him. Even the demons have intellectual assent. But that's not salvation. That's not love for God. That's not... Trust and obedience for Him. That's not not love for God that's translating into love for other people. Write this in your notes as well. Faith alone saves you, but not faith that is alone. I'm going to explain that. Faith alone saves you. Paul described that pretty well. But not faith that is alone. He used these great examples from the Old Testament. first, he talked about abraham and, and you guys you guys know a lot about Abraham if you grew up in church, you know. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Now, you know, and, and he and he is promised that, you know, he's going to be the father of this great nation. You're going to have more descendants than there are stars in the sky or, or grains of sand on all of the seashores. And, and, and so we know this great story about Abraham, and we sing songs about Abraham, and, and we know the story about where he had such trust in, in God that he placed that trust into his obedience that when God told him to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac, on the the altar that he was going to be obedient. And we learn later in the New Testament when God inspired those writers to talk about Abraham that he believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. And that hadn't been done before. But he had the kind of faith in God that caused him to trust God and to be obedient to God. And then the other example is Rahab. Did you guys sing songs about Rahab the prostitute in children's church growing up? (laughs) No, no, she, I don't know any songs about her. And, and you know why? Because we all, we all grow up wanting to be a hero like Abraham, wanting to be influenced, wanting to be used by God, wanting our faith to, to have the kind of faith that people tell stories about. No, no little kid says, I want to be a prostitute when I grow up. No, it's, it's, it's living a life of, of pain, I can't even imagine what she experienced with that life in the community that we know about Jericho. They were so wicked and they were so evil that God wanted them all destroyed. And that's where she was having this this kind of life experience. And so there are no songs about Rahab, but they both had faith and they both had the kind of trust in God that led to action. And so when we talk about faith leading to deeds or to works, immediately some of us have this little legalistic thing going on in our heads. It's like, okay, just give me the list. Tell me what I need to do, okay? I'm, I want to experience this salvation that you're talking about. I want to have that kind of faith. So what do I need to do? You know, okay, let's make the list. Okay, pray, tithe, good church, laugh at jokes. What do I need to do? Just give me the list. I'm going to write it down. And, and it's not a list, guys. It's not a list of things to do. It is placing your trust in God and it's having the kind of faith that leads to a transformed heart and a transformed heart that leads to a display of trust and obedience in the way that you live your life. It's trust in God and it's obedience to his word that that becomes a benefit to other people around you and then it draws them even closer to God. And does God expect you to do this perfectly? Everybody say no. Does God expect you to make progress along the way? Yeah, he does. And so you can have flawed obedience. You can have imperfect trust because there's no perfect example in Scripture. Abraham wasn't perfect. God exposes some of that. So I asked you a minute ago, and I'm going to ask you one more time here, who was James writing to? Yeah, he was writing to Christians. And James is saying, because he's writing to Christians, he's writing to the church. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there are people in the church. There are people that claim to be followers of Christ. There are people that claim to have experienced the saving grace of God that have not and are not being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. There are people in the church that think that they're saved that are not saved. Because he says this kind of faith will not save you. This kind of faith is dead. So remember, he's not talking about perfection. He's talking about progress. Number three in your notes, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Now, these are strong words, and he uses them twice in this passage. And what he's saying is that faith without works is not faith. It's not real faith. Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in London, and... and There are lots of great stories about him because it was before the times of amplification and having microphones and all that kind of stuff. And he preached in front of 10,000 people with no microphone. Okay, So he was a hoss. Okay, He could stand up and the man could preach. And he was also really, really smart. So here's his commentary. I'm going to let his commentary kind of help explain what James was saying. This is what he said about the passage that we've been reading, the words of Charles Spurgeon. A tree has been planted out into the ground. Now the source of life to that tree is at the root, whether it hath apples on it or not. The apples would not give it life, but the whole of the life of the tree will come from its root. But if that tree stands in the orchard, and when the springtime comes, there is no bud, and when the summer comes, there is no leafing and no fruit bearing, but the next year and the next year, and it stands there without bud or blossom, without leaf or fruit, you would say it is, it's dead. And you would be correct, it's dead. He, he makes the point really, really clear here that it's not the leaves that make a tree alive. It's not the fruit on the tree that makes the tree alive, but it is a sign of the life of the tree. And if there is no progress, if you don't see buds or leaves or fruit on the tree year after year and season after season, you can come to the conclusion that tree is dead, that tree is useless. There is nothing going on with that tree. And Jesus said those words really, really clearly when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches, and you're going to bear fruit if you stay connected to me. But if you are not connected to me, you're going to die, and you'll be good for nothing but to be cut off and thrown into the fire. And that's what he's saying here. The same with us. Our faith leads to fruit in our lives. Our faith leads to life itself. So write this in your notes. Bearing fruit does not make a tree alive. Bearing fruit does not make a tree alive. If you do these things, if you follow this list, then you will experience life. Nope, not at all. But a lack of fruit shows a tree to be dead. A lack of fruit shows a tree to be dead. If there is not progress, season after season, no leaves, no fruit, no bud, no signs of life, you can come to the conclusion that that tree is dead. Write this in your notes as well. The works that faith creates is a love for God which produces a love for others. The works that faith creates is not a list, legalistic list of stuff. Hey, make sure you do these things so that you can experience God's grace. But the works that faith creates is a love for God that, that spills over out of your life and has an effect on the people around you. It, is, it helps produce a love for other people. And we want the list, don't we? I mean, it's just easier. Check off the list. Attend church, pray, get baptized, tithe, serve you know, even take care of those in need, even all of those good things. And, and those things do not save us, but those things do show a submissive and a trusting heart, and they do show that we have experienced the saving grace of God more than a belief, more than just a sense to knowledge that we have experienced, but, but faith. And fighting against those things shows that we have a rebellious heart. And I pray that, that we are able to turn that around and begin to begin to show progress. So James says evaluate yourself once again. Evaluate yourself. Look in the mirror. Do this self-evaluation. Don't evaluate other people with this with this passage, but evaluate yourself. And what are you experiencing? Are you becoming more loving to other people as you as you mature in your age? Are you maturing spiritually? Are you growing to be more and more like Jesus Christ? Are you showing progress in the way that your heart breaks when you see somebody with physical needs? And if you can help, do you take those opportunities to help? Not perfectly, but even flawed. Do you you help? Does your heart break? Our memory verse for this week comes from James chapter 2 and verse 26. I wrote it in the ESV because it uses the word works, and I think that word is easier for us to understand and remember. And it's simply this, faith without works is dead. I hope that you'll think about that phrase, and I hope that you'll read this passage, and I hope that this phrase will be a part of your prayers this week. Lord, help me to have a faith that is alive. Help me have a faith that shows up in the way that I live and the way that I interact with other people. So I want to challenge you with a very clear next step, and and here it is. Stop doing good things to try to earn God's favor. Now, that's dangerous for a preacher to say, right? Because maybe, uh, maybe you've been working in the nursery, and I'm saying, hey... If you're trying to do that to earn God's favor, to earn salvation, then stop doing that because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Now all of a sudden i got I got to find three more people to work in the nursery. Okay, so it's a little bit dangerous to say it, but I will say with full confidence that if you are doing things even around here, even things that are helpful, and you're doing them to try to earn God's favor, you got to stop doing them because God is going to bless the efforts when it's done with the right attitude and the right heart. So don't try to earn God's favor by the stuff that you do because it will not work and you cannot earn God's favor. He couldn't love you any more than he does right now. And start doing good things as an act of worship and love for God. The good things that you do, don't do them to try to earn God's favor, but do them as an act of worship. Do them as a response to how much God loves you. Let's pray. Our Father, we do love you and thank you and, and praise you today. And Lord, I, I ask that uh, as we so imperfectly try to make progress in our lives and and sometimes we do... In certain areas we, we show progress and in other areas we don't. Help us to not separate those compartments and to say, well, you know, but I'm really good at this, but I, I have made no progress in this other area of my life. But help us to be more holistic where we say, I want to, I want to display Jesus Christ in my life. I wear his name. I, I want people to, to see me and, and to be drawn to him because I'm growing in every aspect of my life. Lord, help us to, to love you so much that it affects the way that we love others around us. And if there's anyone here today that hasn't made that first step of, of, of accepting you and declaring you and placing their trust in you and, and, and making a promise to be obedient to you and, and even as flawed as we are and as we make mistakes throughout the rest of our lives that we, that we continually return to you and we continually experience your grace over and over again every day for the rest of our lives Lord if there's anyone that has not made that step of faith of real faith Lord I pray that today would be that day it's in Jesus name that we pray Amen